Well, I want to say to Chris Orr and our music and worship ministry, you all are hitting a home run every Sunday and exalting the Lord. Aren't you glad for Chris Orr and our music and worship ministry? Isn't it great to come to Beach Haven and to lift up Jesus? My goodness, thank you. Thank you. Let me invite your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in front of you. And uh, we'd love for you to follow along with us today. But the thing I want to begin with is to say this. Uh, we'll look at 1 Thessalonians 5 and also 2 Kings 13 in just a moment. But God, God lets us measure our own victory. And the key to living in victory in Jesus Christ is not to ask God to bless what you're doing. That's not it at all. We don't shape and determine a life over here and then say, God, come bless this. That's not it at all. We do not ask God to bless what we're doing. We do what God is blessing. We figure out what is it that God is willing to bless. What is it God is willing uh, to invest his resources into in my life? What is it that interests God? So we begin by forgetting ourselves and looking to him. We don't merely ask him to come into our lives, as important as that is. We actually make another transfer in another direction. Not just that he comes into our life, but we come into his by Jesus Christ. And that's what we do. So we don't ask God to bless what we're doing. We do what God is blessing, is what we do. And what God is blessing is that God blesses the one who gives everything to him and bows everything before him. These are not people that compartmentalize their lives. They've got their religious life, and they've got their spending life, and they've got their vocational life, and then they have got their, their sexual life, they've got uh, their relational life, and these things. Oh, no, that's not what we do at all. Instead, what we do is that we take every one of those areas and we bow them before him in Jesus Christ and then God blesses. Everything needs to belong to him and him alone. Now in 2 Kings, the book of 2 Kings chapter 13, what you find there is a story of Joash and Elisha. Elisha is the prophet in Israel and he's dying. And King Joash, who's a very wicked man, very wicked, entirely wicked, does come and mourn the passing of Elisha. Elisha's not passed yet. But Elisha looks at him and says, I want you to take some arrows and fire them out the window. And he does so. And he says, take these remaining arrows and hit them on the ground. And Joash hits them three times. And the text says in verses 18 and 19 of 2 Kings 13, that he becomes very upset with King Joash. He said you hit three times when you should have hit six. And there he described most of God's people through the ages. Many are willing to hit three times, to strike three times, but they're not willing to strike six. In other words, if they've got six choices to give to God, six opportunities to give to God, they'll give three, but they won't go all the way with God and give him all six. 
That happens in individual lives. That happens in families and marriages. Even happens in churches as well. And perhaps communities. But most of God's people are willing to go three times, but not the entire six before God. May I say to you, God is not interested in blessing that life. God will not bless the halfway life. God will not bless. God will not anoint. God will not strengthen the one who only goes a few steps in the way of his will. Instead, God is interested in blessing the one who's willing to go all the way with him. Now, uh, beginning in verse 12, we find some specific commandments. In fact, there are 19 of them here. Real short, pithy commandments that are found here in the text. And Paul actually summarizes everything he's talking about in this chapter, in this section, beginning in verse number 23. Read there with me. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. In other words, bring you completely all the way into his will. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know Jesus is coming again? In great glory, power, and victory. He came with the crown the first time. He's coming to conquer the second time. Jesus is going to return. And Paul is praying here that God would take every bit of us and make everything about us in his will completely and that even our spirit, soul, and body would then be preserved blameless until Jesus comes back again. And then here's the assurance, verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, he will also do it. We've got to go all the way with God. God lets us then determine and measure our own victory. Hey, do you know how much victory you have in your life? Just as much as you are willing to pursue in God. That's how much you've got. In other words, there's nothing about God that needs to change for you to have victory. There's nothing about God that he has to change for you to have victory. There's, there's not some new promise he needs to make, not, not some new revelation, not anything along those lines. God is perfectly prepared for you to have a victorious life in Christ. Nothing about God needs to change. And so the victory that we have is the victory that we have measured before God. And the way that we measure our victory is to measure our obedience. We have just as much victory in Jesus Christ as we have obedience to him. The disobedient person will never have victory in Jesus Christ. The one that is obedient to him will have victory with every act of obedience to him. The most important thing about you is the faith and trust you are willing to have in him. There is nothing more important than faith and trust in him. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Now, Paul begins in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians 5 to talk about some areas that to some are a bit unusual. Most folks have never really covered this passage. And so they've not gone completely all the way with Almighty God. And these are areas where we need to be obedient to him. And the first one is this, found in verses 12 and 13. Support staff zealously. Look at verses 12 and 13. Look what it says. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly for their work's sake. Be at peace 
among yourselves. Now, before I expound this text, let me say, number one, thank you so much for the great support you give to me and to our staff. It is a lovely thing and an awesome thing to serve uh, Beach Haven Baptist Church. So I don't want you to take anything I say today as complaining. But the second thing I want to say is, um, just in case, and, and you're, you're not going to do this, but just in case there's somebody here who's tempted to um, uh, get suspicious and think that I'm preaching this text out of self-interest, let me say to you, if I had any self-interest, I wouldn't preach this text. I'd take the easy way out and ignore it, and you probably wouldn't notice it. Or I would just preach a few parts of it and leave other parts of it out, and, and you'd never notice it. If I had any self-interest or desire to preserve myself or our staff and uh, their leadership, I would not address this text at all. But let me make sure you understand real quickly and clearly, and this is not much different than what you've had over the last 35, 40 years at Beach Haven. If it's in the Bible, it's going to show up in the sermon. That's what we do here. We do not avoid biblical text just because somebody might misunderstand our motive or misconstrue it or distort it. If it's in the Bible, it shall show up in the sermon. The third thing I want to say is, Jesus Christ is Lord over the church. It is Jesus and not tradition. It is Jesus and not an interest group. It is Jesus and not an individual. It is Jesus and not pastor and staff. Therefore, that determines the relationship between pastor, staff, and church and people. Jesus Christ is Lord. And there is no one, there is no one with the authority or authorization from heaven to change the biblical role of pastor and staff. And let me promise you something. The pastor and staff of this church will do exactly what the Bible says. And if you'll pray for us, we'll do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But one final thing is this. Most church members have never studied these biblical texts. Most of them do not know what the scripture says about pastor, staff, and leadership. They just received a tradition somewhere, and that's why most of your Southern Baptist churches are declining. It's a pitiful thing. They've never studied the Bible, but friend, do you know, even though most Southern Baptists have never studied the biblical text on these issues, they sure enough do have an opinion about it. Oh, they do. And so the greatest thing that can happen to us is to have a humble spirit before God and a revival of humility before Him and just simply go by the Bible. When you go with God according to His Word, that's what God is interested in blessing. Now let's look at the text real quickly. Verses 12 and 13. It says here, We urge you, brethren. Now so this is not a casual thing. We urge you to recognize those who labor among you. Uh, the word recognize can be translated to know, to know, to recognize, but that's a bit too bland. Um, it, it is better uh, translated acknowledge or accept. Accept the fact that you've got leadership in a local church, and the local church is not a freelance club with everyone running every direction that they want to run. In other words, you accept and acknowledge there is leadership, God-ordained leadership in a local church, just like there is in society and in family and in home. So acknowledge or recognize those who labor among you. And I can tell you, I really appreciate the labor of our staff. They've all got a very good work ethic. And my temptation or our temptation here with our staff at Beach Haven is not to uh, be lazy, but, but 
to, to go home in time and not to spend all your time up here. And so I'm very grateful for the work ethic among them. And, and so it goes on to say, recognize those who labor among you and are over you by the authority of the Lord. And so there's a supervisory role. There's a uh, leadership role. There is an over uh, nature to the staff. And then who admonish you. In other words, if you drift and get out of line, you need to know the pastor and staff will correct you, will correct you. And that's sometimes why it's difficult for pastor and staff always to be buddy-buddy with everybody. They've got a corrective role and a corrective measure to that, that that's best done when you know that we love you and we attempt to do that. But um, uh, the truth is, there is an admonishing role that is there. Now it goes on in verse 13. Now watch this. If, if you thought verse 12 was a mouthful, look at verse 13. It gets more intense. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. There is in the Greek text a triple intensive here in verse 13. In a very intense way, Paul says, esteem them very highly for their work's sake. Let me give you an illustration of that in 1 Timothy 5. Turn a few pages over, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And in verse 17... The text calls pastor and staff elders. Uh, those that are called to the ministry and serve vocationally in the Bible are elders, they're shepherds, they're presbyters, they're bishops, uh, they are pastors. And the term that you, is used here in verse 17 is elders. Now look here what it says in verse 17. Um, and as you're turning there, who does the Bible say to honor? Can you think of some biblical passages that encourage us to honor others? Well, the first one is what? Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. And then Peter will say in 1 Peter 2, honor the king. And Nero was on the throne at the time. You've got several biblical passages that encourage us to honor. Romans chapter 12, honor one another. So honor your father and mother. Honor one another. Honor the king. Do you know that honor is to given to be given to pastor and staff. But there's something very unique here in verse 17 that you may have missed if you uh, have ever read or studied this passage. There's only one time in the Bible where God says, give double honor to anyone. One time. Does it say to give double honor to mother and father? No. Does it say to give double honor to one another? Does it say to give double honor to the king or to the government? Look at verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. So that's just another way of Paul saying in verse number 13, esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Hey, do you know something? If it were not for pastors and staff, let's just be real honest here. Don't mean to be critical. Well, let's just be real honest. If it were not for the pastor and staff, how much gospel preaching would there be in our world today? If it weren't for the missionaries who give themselves sacrificially to span the globe with the good news of Jesus Christ, how often would the gospel be heard by men, women, boys, and girls around the world? How many would know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? He took our place. He suffered our capital punishment. Because we're all sinners. And that he was buried and raised again the third day because the Father approved of the cross. And that if you'll repent and believe that God will save you. 
I mean, really, what would happen to the task of global evangelization if there were no pastor and staff? Hey, no wonder the text says, esteem them very highly with the triple intensive and uh, make them worthy of double honor because of their work's sake. Let me give you a principle here. Listen real carefully. And this is going to do you more good than it would any pastor or staff. If you ever expect to be over, you've got to first learn to be under. That is a spiritual principle in the kingdom. Some of you dads having a real hard time getting your wife and children to listen to you because you're not under Jesus Christ. There's some authority in your life you're not under, and they're having a hard time taking it from you. Some of you have a hard time getting your spouse or children to listen to you because of that. See, whenever we're not willing to be under, God will never put us in spiritual authority over. And ladies and gentlemen, the same is true when it comes to the Word of God and the operation of a local church is what the biblical text teaches. And so this American rebellious spirit that nobody's going to tell me what to do is thoroughly out of place in a local church. The, the notion that some churches have where they uh, essentially tell pastor and staff to go over into the corner and now y'all hush while we do what we want to do. No, 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 no. My promise to you is this. The pastor and staff of Beach Haven Baptist Church will lead according to the Word of God and do everything the Bible teaches and says. That's our promise. That is our commitment to you. And in that way then, you've got to be before God often and frequently on behalf of pastor and staff in your prayers to plead with God that we would stay under the Lordship and authority of Jesus Christ himself. Some of you are struggling spiritually. You are because you kind of show up to church and you hear sermons and you walk away like nothing happened. In other words, you don't take it as if God himself is speaking to you through the Bible and so you're struggling some. In other words, you've only measured off this much when it comes to obedience when you could have total victory if you would measure your obedience to the extent that God wants it according to verses 12 and 13. So support staff zealously, and that's not an exaggeration. Esteem them very highly for their, in love for their work's sake. But there's a second thing. Not only support staff zealously, but second, serve the people appropriately. Proverbs 15.2 says, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. And boy, I learned that back a while ago. I did. Uh, Sherry Michelle came to me one day, and she said, I just feel like everything you say to me is critical. And it surprised me. I couldn't think of a single criticism. Can you imagine anyone criticizing that lady? I just couldn't. I, I, I didn't know. I said, well, give me some examples. Give me, some, uh, uh, give me what, what you're thinking. And she went through a couple of things, and I thought, you know, that's really, I, I didn't mean any criticism by that. And here's what I did. I said, look, would you do me a big favor? For the next week, if I say anything that gets close to criticism in your ears, would you tell me, just tell me, and we'll talk about it, and I'll change it. I'll do whatever it takes, because I do not want you to feel that. I mean, I grew up that way. I don't want anyone to feel that way in my life. Well, I got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know what? That's a real heavy burden for her to carry. 
I mean, who wants to stop anybody and say, hey, you're being critical? So here's what I did instead. Anytime I said something to her in any kind of conversation, I would stop the conversation and say, now look, did that sound critical? So instead of putting the burden on her, I put it on myself. And there's a second thing I did. Not only that, but I also began to spend some more time in prayer about it and put it on my prayer list is what I did. Now, I had no intention of being critical. That wasn't in me. That's not what I wanted. But that's what she was hearing. Proverbs 15, 2. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. You may not, listen, you may not mean and intend criticism, but if it's coming out that way, you really need to make some changes. Well, this is what Paul's talking about, beginning in verse number uh, 14. Look here. And this is real. Oh, my soul, this is real. Look at verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. In other words, win-win. A couple of things about this. This is real. Paul knew local churches. I mean, you've got the unruly, you've got the faint-hearted, you've got those that are tempted to seek revenge, and then you've got some uh, issues that come up where it looks like someone's going to have to lose, and he says, oh no, go for a win-win here in the text. Look carefully. We exhort you, brethren, warn the unruly. These are folks that will not discipline themselves. They uh, won't support Uh, They have no respect for biblical or church authority. Nothing like that at all. They just go off and do whatever they want to do. And and they defy everyone else. And the scripture says, warn the unruly. Some of you right now are very worried about your family's Thanksgiving and Christmas celebrations that are coming up. Because you know there may be somebody there who's going to show up and they've been unruly. They're going to come intoxicated. They're going to come high on drugs, and they have done it for year after year after year after year after year, and right now you are living in torture. Do you know God doesn't want you doing that? God doesn't want you living in torture. Listen, it says, warn the unruly. How about you call them up and say, listen, you know, I know the holidays can be a difficult time. If there's anything I can do to help you, would you do that? But you know, this year, we're not going to have any intoxication. We're not, going to have any, we're not going to have any inebriation of any kind this year. And if I can help you, let me know. And that's a subtle way to warn and to make sure your family has a good time together. Look, if you're not willing to do that, you're just not going to have any victory then. The biblical text, look, I didn't make this up. Look, it's right there. Read with me, verse 14. Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. You don't do that, and so you end up having all this torture going on in your life. You don't have any victory there. Well, there's another thing. Comfort the faint-hearted. There's some that are fearful, and they don't need a hammer. They don't need a verbal punch. What they need is some comfort. They need to be encouraged. And one of the best ways to do that is uh, to encourage them with the promises of God. You could start at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, there are 17 different promises in that one chapter from God in Jesus Christ that you could give uh, to them. And, And then uphold the weak. Sometimes we're weak. Sometimes we struggle. And we need someone to walk along with us to uphold us. And then be patient with all. 
no exception. What a high expectation. Is there anyone in your life that challenges your patience? Probably all of them. And it says, be patient with all. Uh, see that no one renders evil for evil. And you know why he says that? Because we're tempted to render evil for evil. And then, one of the most effective leadership principles I've ever read in my life, verse 15. Always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. In other words, whenever you've got a disagreement about a decision, an effort, or something, seek a win-win. Almost always a win-win is possible. Don't try to make other people losers and just yourself a winner. And don't always accept being the loser. Usually a win-win is possible in just about every circumstance. And if a win-win is not possible then, then a win-wait is often possible. And, and you can wait on another victory. Try to avoid as much as you can without violating Scripture or your integrity. Try to avoid the win-lose proposition. Paul is very, very real. Now, here's what I want to point out here. This is very real, but there's a second thing. He talks about responsibilities of ministers in verses 12 and 13. But in verses 14 and 15, he points out responsibilities of all Christians. It's not just the pastor and staff who have responsibilities. It happens to be all Christian people as well. All of us are to serve the Lord. And then, this is very relational. The only way to carry out verses 14 and 15 is to be around other people. That is the only way to carry out verses 14 and 15. If you're isolated, if you're isolated from other people, you cannot do verses 14 and 15. And what you've done is that you've limited your victory if you do that. So let me encourage you to do something. One of the best things to do to make your church membership and your church experience more and more valuable is this. Show up 15 minutes early and stay 15 minutes late. Now, I know some of you got some uh, medication schedules and all. I certainly understand that. Some of you can't do that right now. We'll work on it for the next 6 to 12 months with your doctor. Change that schedule because what you want to do, you want to be in a position to where you can carry out verses 14 and 15. And the best way to do it is to show up 15 minutes early and stay 15 minutes late. So serve the people appropriately. Support the staff zealously. But there's a final thing here as well. And that is, seek the Lord wholly. Seek the Lord wholly and completely. Every bit of us, every part of us is to be completely given to seeking Him. Here's our heart in verse 16. Rejoice always. In other words, labor to keep your heart in such a place and position to where you can worship and exalt the Lord. You may be on your feet, you may be in a chair, doesn't matter. Keep your heart in a position to worship and exalt Him. That's your heart. And then, look at your mouth in verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. In other words, start a prayer life and never stop. Never give up on praying. But that's not all. Punctuate your day with uh, several prayer times. Carve out islands in your day to pray and seek God. And I can tell you how. Real practical thing. Have a one-to-one -one ratio between every one of your fears and prayer. That will keep you praying. Have a one-to-one -one ratio between every one of your anxieties and prayer. 
That will keep you praying. Uh, have a one-to-one ratio between every one of your decisions and prayer. Have a one-to-one ratio between every one of your meetings and prayer. That will keep you praying. Uh, and then have a one-to-one ratio between every one of your sins and prayer. And I want to assure you, you come before God with humility, trusting the death and resurrection of Christ, dear friend. There is no measure to the grace of God to such a person. God will forgive. That's what you do with your mouth. You pray without ceasing. Verse 18 is what you do with your mind. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's what you do with your mind. You've got to have the mental discipline to recognize where you need to give thanks to God. Now, I thought through this this week. In fact, I thought about this this morning. And I thought yesterday of 27 different things to give God thanks for. Ten of them after 6 p.m. And folks, it didn't take me five minutes to give thanks to God. Changed my whole attitude. Then, verse 19, do not quench the spirit. That's your soul. Hey, we've all known people that at one time or another were on fire for God, but they've quenched the Holy Spirit because they have been very limited in their obedience to God. There are some people in our churches that their best day was a yesterday, and they've been struggling ever since. In other words, it's not been getting sweeter and better and stronger as they've walked with God. They've quenched the Holy Spirit. He says, don't do that. Then, do not despise prophecies. Most of the prophecy in the Bible is not foretelling the future. Two-third of it is preaching on the contemporary situation, the Word of God. Don't despise that. Now, why would he say that? He would say that because we are tempted to despise the preaching of the Word of God. We've got to be extremely careful that our heart does not live in rebellion. Even church people, even Christian people can come to the point where they actually despise the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Do not despise uh, prophecies. And then, this is what we do with our Uh, verse 20 is what we do with our ears. Verse 21 is what we do with our eyes. Test all things. Hold fast what's good. Abstain from every form of evil. If you want to walk with God, you've got to have the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse you from all sin. In your conversion experience and then in a daily experience of walking with Him. Make confession a serious part of your walk with God. And the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection is enough to cancel and eliminate all guilt and all sin. And there's no one here who cannot be forgiven and eternally connected with blessed assurance to God Almighty through faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone can be. And that can happen to you today as well. Well, what am I do? John 1.12 says, To as many as received him, gave he the right to become the children of God, even those that believe on his name. Right now you feel lowly, you feel guilty, you feel dirty, you're scared to death to approach God, and the Bible's promising you and leading you a different direction. To as many as received him, gave he the right to become the children of God, even those that believe on his name. In other words, God's not trying to put you down in Jesus. He's trying to lift you up to the status of a child of God and give you every access, every authority, every bit of the authorization you need to walk with God. And it can happen today in Jesus Christ. Listen, today's your day. Today's an opportunity for you. Don't mess this thing up today. Open up your heart and say, Lord Jesus, 
I violated your law. I'm guilty. But I believe you died for me and you rose again from the dead. Please come into my heart and life and forgive me and save me. Don't mess this up today. This is your opportunity. Hey, do you know the name Dan Reeves? You remember Dan Reeves? He coached the Falcons, but before that he coached the Broncos. And before that, he was a star halfback for the Dallas Cowboys. When he was playing for the Cowboys, he had his first son, and he got to the hospital after the boy was born and asked his wife if he could hold the boy. And she said, not on your life. He said, well, why not? She said, you fumble too much. Hey, you're tired of fumbling. You're tired of fumbling. It's time to start having some victory by doing what God wants you to do today. Open up your heart and receive Jesus. Others of you have, but you need to follow him in baptism. You need to become part of this church. It's time to come. It's time to do serious business for him. The longer you wait to obey God, the longer you postpone victory. But victory can be immediate and thorough today if you will obey God. In-